This podcast is presented by Monkey Knife Fight, where it's the final weekend of the regular NFL season. If you haven't joined our prop bet site yet, you should. Your first deposit is on us. Make sure to type in the code, the number 3PSMAG. That's the number 3PSMAG. And your first deposit will be on us. So make a prop bet for the last week of the NFL season and the college football playoff. That's monkeyknifefight.com. M-O-N-K-E-Y-K-N-I-F-E-F-I-G-H-T.com. Welcome to another edition of the Tom Green Podcast. It's college football playoff season. And unfortunately, my Michigan Wolverines, once again, are not a part of it. But did we expect it? Not really. At least... With two losses, we have still yet to see a two-loss college football team even sniff the playoffs. And yes, I know that Auburn was one of them years ago, but oh well. And that really doesn't matter to me. So with that being said, um, I brought in a viral sensation, if you if if that's the right term. Um, this guy did a sideline report from Tuscaloosa and got noticed. He got very noticed. And about a month later, I'd say, well, I'd said to myself, when he got noticed, I got to bring this guy on the show. A month later, I did. I stuck true to my word, and here we are. So I will bring in, from WRBL in Columbus, Georgia, the viral sensation known as Jack Patterson. Welcome to the show, Jack. Hey, man. Thanks for having me on, Tom. It's a pleasure to be here. Definitely. So uh, with that being said, tell us... We had a nice um, pre-podcast conversation, conversation that lasted longer than I thought it would. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself, Jack. All righty. Well, um, so I work, I'm the weekend sports anchor reporter here at WRBL, the uh, CBS station here in Columbus, Georgia, about an hour and a half south of Atlanta. Uh, Columbus is my hometown, born and raised here. Um, uh, I've been working at WRBL for almost seven years now. Uh, I initially started as a production member. Uh, I worked behind the scenes, and I was a director up until October when I was hired as the weekend sports guy. Uh, and all over the place, I've always been kind of a sports guy. Um, been, you know, going after this kind of job for ever since I was in high school. So, you know, it's a dream come true in these last three months have been really crazy. Uh, you know, just, you know, the experience, everything I've experienced with, you know, covering college football games and then, you know, the experience with Marty going to the SEC championship, uh, you know, covering a great high school scene down here. It's, it's, uh, it's the last few months have been just really overwhelming and eye-opening. Gotcha. And then as for me, as people know, I've, I've been wanting to work in sports for, Many years. In fact, I told Jack my story, and I'll tell it again for the people that are new listening to my show because of the uh, the great man and Jack Patterson we have on the show. Uh, I've been wanting to work in sports since 2007, <clears throat> which when I was 12 years old. Here I am at the the ripe age of 24, finally getting my breakthrough in the world of news. Not quite sports, but hoping that this will get to sports. My first ever public address assignment was for the Essexville Jaguars, a Cunyad football team up here in Essexville, Michigan. And I, uh, Trenton Robinson, who was a senior at Bay City Central at the time, was actually helping in the booth that day when I did my first PA assignment. And I actually tried to convince him to go to Michigan. 
Well, at least Big Ten country knows how that went. He went to Michigan State. He was part of the only class that swept Michigan, <laughs> which unfortunately didn't I, I didn't like. But hey, at least had the story that I tried to get Trenton Robinson to go to Michigan. And also, um, like I had told Jack before, uh, John Morosi, who is the Fox Sports broadcaster, also went to Essexville Garber. He graduated years before I did, and so I'd actually gotten some uh, help and advice from him, and that's one of the many people that I've known. And, of course, Jack has seen my networking thread, which he was amazed by, and I look at it and I, I get amazed by it as well. <laughs> Absolutely, man. That thread is insane. Gotcha. So with that being said, he's had an experience that I have yet to have, in fact, um, when he was doing his hit in Tuscaloosa after Alabama LSU, um, Marty Smith approached him. So, the, tell us, tell us the story. All right, man. So uh, it was it's about nine o'clock Eastern time. You know, Tuscaloosa is on Central time, but uh, going by Eastern time, it's about nine o'clock Eastern time. I'm out in Tuscaloosa. I'm taping my stand up to air in my story for. The 11 o'clock news back in Columbus for the Alabama LSU game. And, you know, as you see in the video, I screw up, uh, mess up. You know, the thing is, I, the reason why you see me get so frustrated is because I'm ad-libbing. I'm going off the dome. You know, I've, I've got a thought in my head on what I want to say, but I'm basically ad-libbing. And I got too fancy trying to ad-lib it, so that's what tripped me up. And that's when Marty comes in. Um, and I didn't see him coming. Like, he can't, like, I knew he had been doing some stuff for Sports Center earlier in the night, but I didn't know he was even still there. So he, he comes on camera, and fortunately, my camera was rolling because I, you know, I was there by myself. You know, I'm a photog and the reporter. So, um, fortunately, my camera was rolling when it happened. It's just a coincidence. Um, and, you know, to do what he did, you know, gave me some advice and uh, took a picture with me. Like, that was just so amazing. Like, my facial expression gives, you know, tells the entire story. Like, that's how much it makes me. Like, the guy from ESPN, I have been following for years. Like, I've been following since he was doing NASCAR for years. I've been following for years. And to see... Him in person, number one, and dude, you know, he's talking to me, and number three, you know, he's treating me like an equal, like, dude, man, that, is, that, that was mind-blowing for, at that point in time, I had been on the job for about a month, so for that, have that happen, like, that was just, I was over the moon. Oh, definitely, and I, and like I said, I, I have done a lot of networking, but I've really yet to have act, that actual experience to where... You're doing an on-air, well, a tape-to-air hit like that, and you do mess up, which at WLEW, where I do radio, I mess up some voice tracks as well, and I get that feeling like you have, but I never have actually gotten the <clears throat> advice right on the spot like that. Um, so what? So I'll ask, uh, what advice did he, did he give you? Well, he, he talked about it, and what he said was absolutely true. That the, one of the hardest things that we do in this business is to take stand up because you know a lot of people in this business. I don't know about you, Tom, but definitely for me, 
um, I'm a I'm a perfectionist. So when I do, when I'm doing tape stuff, my goal is to be perfect, and I want it to sound good. I want to look good. I want it to come out good. So you know, he said you know it's one of the hardest things that we do in the business, and he's absolutely right. And, you know, he just told me to keep on going. That I was doing a good job. You know, and like that, like I said, that's a huge a huge thing coming from a guy who you know I watch all the time on. ESPN and the SEC network and, you know, doing doing things that, you know, one day hoping and praying that I'll be doing, you know, like to have somebody that you look up to, to you know, come out and, you know, show you some love, man. That, like I said, it is overwhelming. The whole experience was really surreal. Oh, yes, definitely. And, and, I, of course, noticed you as you had gotten viral and I had seen all these people talking to you and I'm like, Man, I've talked to a lot of people in person and have given me some advice like this, but I've never gotten this type of recognition that Jack's gotten. Man, that's wow. <laughs> I'm just sitting yeah, there like I I you know, it's and and he's he's very right. Stand up or if you're if you're me and radio voice tracks are are hard and it's because you want to ad lib a lot. It's it's very easy to just to just go on script. It's very easy to yeah. just have one thing and keep going with it. But if you want to ad lib like you, and even I do, <laughs> you want to get it right and you want to get it perfect. And it's, um, <clears throat> you, you want the best out of the best quality out of your work. And sometimes we hit those situations and that just tells you how humbling Marty is. And a lot of the people I've met are. 100% man. Like, even in the aftermath, you know, the people I've met and, you know, whether it's via uh, Twitter, I've had some people reach out to me via um, DMs on Twitter and, you know, I've had people call into the station and call me, you know, and reach out to me offering advice and, you know, words of encouragement and, you know, even when I'm out covering games now, you know, I'm getting recognized when I walk into media rooms. Like, like, like I, and the thing that's been different about the whole thing is I've never saw myself as the center of attention. Right. So it's been different. It's been different being the center of, of attention when I'm walking into media rooms and everything. So, uh, it, like I said, it's it's been different, but you know, it's been a, a fun ride. But you know, it just really goes to show just for a lot of, a lot of people, and I say this all the time about our business is that. You know, so many people just look at a person on the outside, you know, on TV or right. on the radio, and they come up with their assumptions of how this person must be in real life. When, uh, you know, not, I would say 98% of the time, you know, there's so many down to earth people in this business who, you know, just love this business and, you know, they pay their dues to get where they are. And, you know, and they're willing to, you know, just help because that's all Marty was doing. Like, he right. just saw some, he just saw a reporter out there who, you know, admittedly, I was struggling, you know, because that, that was probably like take seven or eight, you know, but he just saw a reporter out there that was struggling and thought he could use a few words of, words of encouragement. And he didn't have to do it. You know, he didn't know me from anybody out in that city. Because I wasn't the only media person out there. You know, there's a row of us 
down the um the, the um bleachers because uh, Alabama doesn't let us um tape on the field because they got to get the field ready for the next game. But um, there's a role of media personnel all doing the same thing I'm doing, and he just happened to see me. And that's that's amazing because you just ne- you just never know. It's it's. One thing, at least, the advice that I have to offer for people is always, always be kind and always be you. And that was something that uh, Don Mitchell at Fox Nine, who uh, when I was at Lions Vikings a few weeks or a couple of months ago, offered to me was that uh, to be kind, to be you on camera. And Don has actually mentored a, a couple of people that I know or at least know of. Jenny Taft being one of them, um, who who is the person the, the the lovely lady on my profile picture who has been there ever oh. since <laughs> ever since I had been through I graduated high school in fact it's kind of our thing it's like all right Jenny's on my profile picture that's one of the people that Dawn has mentored of course as you see she hosts Undisputed her and I get along uh-huh. real well and another one that I do not know yet but I would like to and I'm you you probably know her because she follows you is Jamie Erdahl uh that's another uh-huh. one that I have that's another one that I have liked in the SEC media. That's another one that Don Mitchell has uh, mentored. So that's definitely someone oh. I would look towards to advice. And another one, another one that follows you is uh, Tim Brando. I've actually met him a couple of years ago now at Michigan, Minnesota, a basketball game, and he and I have gotten along real well. In fact, Timmy B, if you're listening to the show, we got to get you on the show at some point. We got to play around the golf sometime. Maybe. Maybe we can throw Jack in there as well as Gray Robert Robertson. There you go. There's four we can get on the golf course. That'd be a great time. But I know I'm shouting out names left and right, but these are all people that one is have helped me and can help you as well. And some of them follow you, but I've never met. <laughs> well, so. I mean, you know, the funny thing, you know, you talk about Jamie Erdogan. Yes. Uh, the day of during the Alabama LSU game, which was of course nationally televised on CBS, right. you know, I had several you know, quick encounters with her because, you know, I don't know, you know, they ever see it on TV, but she is going back and forth between the sidelines. And the confines at Brian Denny Stadium are pretty tight. So, you know, you get, where I was shooting at on the sidelines is in the corners of the end zone where the, they're the, the confines are the most tight. So she always had to slip by. And, like, I probably saw her probably like, five, ten times during the game. And then, uh, you know, when this all happened, you know, she was, you know, appreciative for me letting her by. Because, you know, I I see her ripping and running, and I know the kind of job she has to do. You know, Mm -hmm. she's got to go, you know, get on the sidelines, make sure, you know, there's somebody that's injured. She's got to go get an injury report on them or something like that. So, you know, I'm just, you know, trying to make sure I'm not in her way. So, But, yeah, she's hustling back and forth between the sidelines. So, you know, it was cool to, you know, you know, like I said, I, I'll be honest, I still kind of get starstruck when I see these people because I'm like, you look up to these people. And, and honestly, Brando, yeah. And uh, honestly, yeah, now that I've met, awesome. I've now that I've met so many people in the media, I kind of lost the starstruck feeling, but I, but it's, it's in a positive way because I'm, I'm more <clears throat> apt to be myself, if that makes sense, talking to yeah. these people. But I'll admit that I was pretty starstruck when I met Jim Harbaugh uh, at that same Michigan-Minnesota game that I had met Tim Brando at. Uh, I'm like, wait, that's Harbaugh? And he was actually, 
Harbaugh had actually recruited now two two people from my school, uh, SSO Garber, uh, Ben and Alex Van Sumeren. <clears throat> uh, Ben's now the fullback at Michigan, and Alex just committed. Uh, congratulations to him for uh, class of 2022. But that tells you that in due time, you will lose the starstruck feeling, but in a good way. As I'm saying, yeah. you will be less nervous to talk to these people. And, of course, as an aside, um, whenever I'm in a situation kind of like that where I'm wanting people through and stuff like that, like you're mentioning, I'm a big guy. Like, if I'm ever on the CTA, uh, you know, the Chicago subways, I, I, I just say out loud, my body's a cushion. You can just use my body as a cushion. Get in. Get in. <laughs> that tells you I may be a big boy, but I'm a nice guy, too. So another point that... Yeah, that's Exactly. So, um, uh, and I'll also say uh, Ryan McGee has some of the best um, content on ESPN that nobody knows about, which is, of course, M- w- Marty Smith's good friend. Bottom 10. Absolutely. Read it. The bottom 10 is fantastic. <laughs> and the funny, the funny thing about McGee is he had a similar interaction with my sports director, uh, Rex Castillo, at the Auburn LSU game in Baton Rouge about a month prior to me and Marty McGee and me, me and Marty meeting in Tuscaloosa. So, like, we're kind of intertwined with, with Marty and McGee now. Gotcha. So, Marty, McGee, and Jack, and possibly Tom. <laughs> <laughs> so, Marty and McGee, and uh, I'll also shout out Laura Rutledge as well, because I met her in Detroit before uh, Lions-Jets Monday night, and uh, you had probably seen the tweet right after you had followed me. It totally felt like we were friends from school or something like that and we and all we had all we had done was tweet each other it's like wow <laughs> i did not think i would have that great of a first impression with laura but that's how genuine laura is that's how genuine uh marty is as well as brando a few more people that follow or follow you but not me uh len casper for the cubs always loved his yeah. broadcasts um Alyssa Wang is I'm funny. Sad. I can't watch him down here anymore. Um, if you get MLB Network, yeah. Um, my thought on that is, um, once Marquee comes out, and MLB Network will still broadcast at least Friday one twenty games. So I think yeah. if you get MLB Network, at least my opinion is, you're still going to have that national feeling. It'll just be over a different network. I hope you yeah. got him right. Um, Alyssa Wang is pretty funny, and uh, Bruce Feldman, um, he's doing he's he does good work for Fox as well. Absolutely. So, and then uh, let's see, John Morosi, and then two more, and then we'll get to our LSU Oklahoma and stuff preview. Uh, Tori Petrie does work for the Detroit Lions. She actually graduated from Florida. That's someone I would definitely reach out to because she she's given me a lot of good tips and good advice. I think she would do the same for you and Julia Morales, uh, one of probably one of the coolest reporters that I've ever met before Tigers Astros. Very down to earth. Uh, she gave you some pretty good advice there. I retweeted your story. Um, that's another one. So quite a few people we we talked about, but that's part of the whole business is networking, and that's how that's how we got that's how we got connected. <laughs> It's not just about what you know, it's about who you know. Exactly. So if any of the people that I've shouted out are listening to this, consider us. And, of course, Marty, 
Ryan, Laura, you got guest passes for the championship game? You want to hear us again? Do a show? Talk about the national championship? Let us know. <laughs> Just throwing that out there. You're asking me if I want to go to New Orleans to a national championship game, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, of course. <laughs> but of course, that would we'll we'll see what happens there. But with that being said, let's get to this playoff preview. What everybody's let's been wanting to hear about. So LSU and Oklahoma. Uh you've covered LSU a bit since your hiring. You've covered uh that's the only playoff team which you've covered Alabama as well. So Tell me, uh, Joe Burrow, Heisman winner, or Jalen Hurts, perennial playoff man? Which one is the better quarterback? I've covered both guys because we cover a lot of Alabama over here. Um, I would lean Burrow. And this is why I would lean Burrow because this is not a slight on Jalen Hurts because I think he's absolutely fantastic. I think Burrow has the stronger arm, because they're both good. I, I would give the edge with legs to Jalen. Because mm-hmm. I think Jalen Jalen is basically a quarterback, I mean a running back who can throw. Right. So, and I say that in the most, you know, complimentary way. Um, but I, I lean Burrow because that arm that he has and the fact the throws he can make on the run and his decision making is just incredible. So I, I lean Burrow, but this is not a um, it's not like a runaway by any stretch of imagination. Jalen Hurts is very good as well, and you know Hurts does have the experience of playing on the big stage as well. So you know it's it's close, but I lean Burrow. Gotcha. Yes. So the the easy answer for me would be Burrow because he's won the Heisman, but you also have to look at both quarterbacks and see what they offer. And of course, Burrow being in that offense that that Eddie O has, has made has, <clears throat> has a better arm, but Hertz has had more experience. So to me, uh, to me, I think experience is the best teacher. And so, and no offense to Burrow whatsoever. If I were to have one of those two quarterbacks, I would probably s- start my playoff team with Hertz. But if I wanted, but I think Burrow fits the offense that, He's running, and if Hertz were to be in that offense, I'm not. Well, I think he would have similar numbers, but I'm not sure if he would have the exact same or better. So it's a toss-up, but experience tells me Hertz. But if I had Joe Burrow, I'd love it. I mean, <laughs> I'm not saying that Burrow is bad. If I had either saying, one of those guys, yeah. I like my chances. Yes, that's that's exactly what I'm saying. So uh, now we transition to. The better coach in this game, Eddie O or Lincoln Riley? Who boy, that is a tough one. That is a tough one. Oh, man. Um, Link, what Lincoln Riley has done with that Oklahoma program has been fantastic. And the same goes for Ed Orgeron. He has completely revitalized that program, which, you know, let's just be honest, a couple of years ago, LSU was just figuring out, you know, you know, especially after those years where they came so close to being Alabama but couldn't, you know, they were in a, you know, turmoil because, you know, they had one of the best running games in the country and one of the best defenses in the country, but they couldn't pass the ball to save their life. So, um, but what 
Ed has done in the time that he's been there uh, has been absolutely remarkable. Um, but Lincoln has been similarly fantastic with what he's doing with Oklahoma's offense. Uh, shoot. I'm, I'm actually going to say this is a push, Tom. Gotcha. You have two guys who, now granted, you know, Lincoln has been on this stage once before last year in the college football playoff. Well, actually, the last two years in the college football playoff, but he hasn't made it to the national championship game. So he does have the experience of playing in the playoff, but he hasn't made it past the semifinals. Um, this is Orgeron's first time going there, but like I said, it, I think, honestly, it's a push, and I say that, you know, once again, in a complimentary way, because I think yes. both coaches are fantastic. But it's going to be it's going to be fun to see what these coaches come up with because Lincoln's got to figure out how to stop LSU's offense. And I think um, Ed has got to figure out a way to control Jalen Hurts, which is easier said than done. Right. And so um, going to the – I'll answer that question as well. Um, the LSU's problem was that they never had a quarterback in the Les Miles years, which I had supported them through the Les Miles years. But I will say the answer to a trivia question being when they had Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry back in 2012, their quarterback was Zach Mettenberger. <laughs> they say, oh, we don't have a quarterback. Well, I can tell you the name, but I see what you're saying. <laughs> but So that was their problem, and they had always... They, LSU was getting tired of losing two or three games every year, so they got rid of Les Miles. They hired Eddie Orgeron, which USC probably should have fired because who doesn't want to have In-N-Out Burger after a victory? So, <laughs> In-N-Out Burger is fantastic. Yes, and of course Chick-fil-A is too. I'm, I'm assuming that Eddie probably feeds his team some Chick-fil-A after a win, <laughs> which that sounds good right now. But, um, yes, uh, Yes, Eddie's brought the quarterback to the offense that's needed one, and while the defense has um, the defense has regressed a little bit, it hasn't bothered them at all because of the offense that they've that they've produced. Now with Lincoln, um, Lincoln Riley has pretty much kept Oklahoma where they have been under Stoops. In fact, maybe even uh, improved them by a notch or two. They were always right there in the playoff. Now they're getting to the playoff, and if they were the number three seed, or maybe even the number two, I think they do make the national championship. But here, this one's a tough one. Uh, experience tells me Lincoln Riley, but um, if we're living in the now, which a lot of fans do, I would have to go with Eddie O. Yeah. So with that being uh, said, I, yeah. I agree. Gotcha. So with that being said, um. How does Oklahoma pull off what would be an upset over LSU? Well, first things first is they've got to control the mistake. You look at you look back to the first Baylor game where they came back from twenty eight to three um, from that twenty eight to three deficit. You know the reason why they were down so much is because they had so many mistakes on offense. They had interceptions and fumbles that contributed to Baylor getting that big lead. You can't have that against LSU. Got to be able you know, you're going to have to go point for point, point for point probably here if you're going to compete with them. You know, you're going to have to get into a shootout, with which they're used to because they're playing in the Big 12. But, you know, it's, it's, not, it's, probably, it's not the ideal way to win, but your defense is probably not going to contain J. 
Joe Burrow. You look at, the, you know, the teams that Burrow has played. You put up, what, 48 on Alabama, 46 on Alabama. You put up, what, 38 on Georgia. You know, the only team that's held them under 30 is Auburn. They held them to 23. So, you know, the mistake, you can't give him more opportunities to put points on the board. So you've got to cut down the mistakes. You have to force mistakes. Force, force Burrow and force that LSU offense to make mistakes. Take the ball from them. That's going to be a big thing, too. Also, you got to have that running game going. Because sometimes the best offense, I mean the best defense, is keeping that offense on the field. So if you can do those three things, then you've got a shot. So once again, you got to limit your mistakes, force mistakes for LSU, and then keep, them, keep Joe Burrow off the field. Gotcha. So my keys to Oklahoma winning are um, play some sort of defense because sadly the big, in fact, I make it a joke on this show that the Big 12 is actually the big what is defense? 12. And and somehow Oklahoma plays the best defense out of the entire (laughs) Big 12. And that being said, um, of course, I I had actually scrolled through a tweet of yours that uh, referred to 28 to (laughs) 3. Uh, to th- say. Those numbers are not looked upon with great loving down here. So, <laughs> yeah, I remember it, it was, the tweet was, uh, "Seeing as I am a Falcons fan, I was prepared for this or something along those lines." <laughs> no, I just got off of Twitter for the rest of the night because I already knew what was coming. The influx of twenty-eight to three jokes. So, <laughs> hey, of still, course, still haven't forgiven Tom Brady for that or Kyle Shanahan. <laughs> Of course, the joke here was that back in 2013, the Red Wings and the Blackhawks played in the Western Conference semifinals. The Wings had a 3-1 lead and blew it. So now we say the Red Wings blowing 3-1 leads before it was cool. <laughs> I actually remember that. I love, I love hockey and I love playoff hockey, and I actually remember that happening. I was at B-dubs, which were, <laughs> which were I'm going to be tonight to watch um, – Packers Vikings. I was at I was at my B dubs and watching watching Game Seven, and I'm like, we just blew a three one lead. How? Yeah. How? <laughs> hey, it could be it could be worse. You could have lost two hockey teams to Canada. That's true. The Atlanta Flames and the Atlanta Thrashers lost to Calgary and Winnipeg. Which one of my biggest regrets as a fan is I never got to go to Atlanta Thrashers. And and of course, as an as an aside, um, one of uh, one of the last years of the Thrashers, um, Audra Martin actually sang the national anthem, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, and she does um, sideline reporting for the Twins at FS North. Another one of the umpteen oh, wow. people that I have been around. But I I did some research, and of course, partially Audra posting some of that stuff too. But uh, a little a little nugget there. So <clears throat> back to Keys to Oklahoma winning. Um, like I said, one, play some sort of defense. Because if you can turnover game, that's what I really refer to. If you can force Burrow to turn the ball over, you will have a chance. And, of course, when you turn the ball over, or when you get takeaways, you got to score points off takeaways. So that's key number two is scoring points when you have the ball. Um, it may sound kind of cliche, but if Oklahoma can score – 
every time they have the ball, they will beat LSU. If you can score at least three points, preferably seven, of course, because yeah. <laughs> math says that seven is greater than three, but if you can score every time you have the ball, then you're going to beat LSU. And I don't care if LSU puts up 50 points. If Oklahoma can score every time they have the ball, they can do it. And three, um, utilize somebody other than C.D. Lamb. And I and this is not and this is not anything against C.D. Lamb, but LSU is going to be targeting that guy. Um, he's going he's going to be double covered. So you got to find a different receiver. You got to find your running back. And Hertz has to use his feet. If he can do those things, Oklahoma has a has a great shot of beating LSU. So forcing turnovers, scoring, and utilizing somebody other than C.D. Lamb. So. Oh yeah, and then by the way, that's your that's the first time you've heard me do uh, analysis on a team. So <laughs> hopefully <laughs> hopefully I provide great analysis for you. Um Sounds good to me. So uh now how does LSU beat Oklahoma? Well the first thing they do is let Joe Burrow beat Joe Burrow. Like let the man go out and do what he's done all year. Don't switch up from what got you. So if Burrow plays like we know he can this game won't be an issue for him. Uh, the second thing is get Clyde Edwards-Hilaire going. You know, get that running ground. He is running game going. He is physical in the trenches, and he will wear that defense down if you just let him get going. So that's a, that's number two. And then number three is you need big plays from your defensive players for LSU. You know, get Grant Delpit going. Get Daryl Stingley going. You know, they've got Michael Divinity back. Get those guys going. They're when they are on, they are ball hawks. So if you get those guys going and disrupting the secondary and disrupting, and, you know, getting a couple of takeaways, then it's not going to take much for LSU to pull away fast. I think they're 13 and a half point favorites in this game. Yes. So, you know, obviously Vegas thinks they're going to win big. But, you know, if that defense gets going, then look out. As much as I had talked well about Oklahoma's defense and then talked about LSU's defense having regressed, I still think LSU's defense is better than Oklahoma's. Your your keys to an LSU victory are very similar to that of Oklahoma. Defense causing turnovers. In fact, Hurts, I think, is more susceptible to turning the ball over than than uh, Burrow because Burrow has, Burrow has done a great job of uh, limiting the turnover game. Uh, if you can... Uh, or get takeaways, get points off takeaways, which, of course, LSU's offense has been spectacular this year, something that they have wanted for many years. And uh, hopefully little Fournette finds the end zone a couple of times. <laughs> it's possible. Because I, I, I love the, uh, the analogy or the expression that uh, Leonard Fournette made when he got into the NFL. Oh, this is easier. It's like, how? Oh. <laughs> How is this easier than college? <laughs> I guess in the SEC it really does mean more. Um, now you took the words right out of my mouth. <laughs> and and third, um, you know the Oklahoma defense is gonna is gonna attack Burrow. So if you can find a running game, um, well, like, like I had said before, like I had said kind of before, find a running game more than relying on your receivers. You can run. You can pound the ball down Oklahoma's throat. You'll beat them with ease. Yeah, the key, the key is going to be wearing them down. 
they have more than one running back. You know, Edwards Allaire is obviously the money back, but if you use that um, that core of running backs that you have and just wear that defensive line down, then that's when you go out and you know, that goes back to letting Joe Burrow do Joe Burrow things. When you have a core, a receiving core like Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase, like those guys. If you start airing it out over them, they'll have a field day. Gotcha. So that being said, um, who wins this game? Uh, I'm going with the Bayou Bengals. They're playing in Atlanta. It'll be a home atmosphere. They showed up really good for the SEC championship um, down in uh, over in Atlanta. So even that, even granted, they were playing Georgia. So you know, they, it was a pro Georgia crowd, but LSU had a great showing. And I think it will be a pro LSU crowd inside of Mercedes Benz Stadium in Atlanta. Uh, I think LSU wins this one 42-24. And, of course, I'll ask, uh, will you be on the call, or not on the call, but on uh, reporting for that? Uh, I will not be reporting for that. I'll be actually in the studio for that. Um, my bowl game this year will be, I'll actually be heading to Tampa for New Year's Day. Uh, covering Auburn and Minnesota out that Gotcha. So, and I had said this on the show with Matt Matera for uh, Lions Bucks uh, last week, but um, it will, this will be the first bowl game that PJ Fleck is in a stadium with a boat, which I cannot wait for. <laughs> That's going to be something else. But uh, my prediction is, I also think LSU will win this game. I think a little bit closer than forty-two twenty-four. I'm gonna say 49-41. Um, I think Hertz. I, I think Hertz is gonna find a way to get through that LSU defense, but LSU will have enough offense to take care of business. So LSU 49, Oklahoma 41. You have LSU 42, Oklahoma 24. And then the second playoff game, uh, Ohio State and Clemson, and. There, there may not be much of one for the players on the field, but is there some sort of revenge factor in this game? Oh, man. You know, if you go out in the, to the fans in Columbus, they ask the question in Columbus, Ohio, not Columbus, Georgia. The answer is yes. You know, Ohio State fans have not forgotten what happened the last time these two teams played in the college football semifinal in Phoenix. You know, they're definitely one, you know, of course, they want to go to the national championship game, but you know they haven't forgot when they got absolutely embarrassed at the hands of the Clemson Tigers and Deshaun Watson. So, without a doubt, I think in the fans' minds, there's a revenge factor. Maybe not the players, because most of them weren't there when that happened, but definitely in the fans' minds. And, I, and I'm certain that uh, some people felt like Woody Hayes did back in the '70s when he punched a, a guy from Clemson. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And let's and let's be clear. He's in Columbus, Georgia. He's not an Ohio State fan, and I say thank God. Well, <laughs> well here's the, here's the deal. Yeah, I I, I I I do have family ties to Ohio State. Oh Don't no. Don't get me off here, but I do have family ties <laughs> to Ohio State. My um, one of my cousins played wide receiver for Ohio State in the nineties. So okay. I do. So I do have ties to Ohio State. That, well, that's um. As part of a rivalry, you have to have both sides to have a rivalry. So, <laughs> Bo, don't worry. I'm keeping you on the show. That's fine. Uh, 
Yeah, I feel that the fans have a revenge factor and the players may not remember it, but it may be in the coaches' minds on both sides, really, that uh, yeah. the second the second matchup is always harder to win than the first, but it's been a few years. And I'll also say that um, when, Cle- uh, when Clemson play- played Kent State on the first game right after the Clemson-Ohio State game the next season, Kent State scored three points in that game, which was more points than any other Ohio team had scored against Clemson in, in the past 365 days since that since that happened. So, just saying, Ohio hey. State fans. <laughs> it's like that SpongeBob episode of the Graveyard Shift. Oh, I burned my hand! At night. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's another thing about me, is you probably won't get through a show without me mentioning some sort of SpongeBob or 90s sitcom reference. There you go. Big Seinfeld. I'm a 90s kid. I'm used to it. I'm I'm also a Seinfeld and King of Queens fan here. (laughs) Happy Festivus, by the way. (laughs) Oh, yeah. So that being said, uh, Clemson. um, All season, Dabo has acted like there's a chip on their shoulder. Um, Is that chip still there for this playoff? If anything, it's probably bigger. It's, pro- it's probably bigger at this point. You know, it, it's just like, you know, you, name, you can name it. You know, they started the season number one. They didn't lose a game. They fell back to number three. You know, Grant, you know, you can, you, we can go over, you know, the reason oh, yeah. why, you know, the ACC is down. They almost lost to North Carolina, you know, but, you know, and then the teams, LSU, Ohio State, they're playing more, they're playing better teams and coming out with more impressive victories. So, do I think there's a chip? Oh, yeah, Dabo's got those boys motivated. Like, is, yes. I can't wait to see how Clemson comes out in this game because he was probably preaching at this point. Like, nobody nobody thought you were, were going to be here. Nobody thought you deserved. Like, there were people saying that Virginia was going to beat them. Now, I didn't think Virginia was going to beat Clemson, but, like, they just think they're saying um, that – they don't deserve to be in the playoffs. And, you know, my one of my favorite sayings comes because I'm a huge wrestling fan from the nature of Warrior Flair. In order to beat a man, you got to beat the man. And Clemson's still the defending champion. And they've done nothing to not deserve to be here. They can't help the fact that the ACC decided we're not going to play football this year. So I do think that Clemson deserves to be there. And I think we're going to see a good showing for Clemson um, when they come out. Phoenix yeah, on Saturday. Yeah, not only do I think that Clemson has a chip on their shoulder, they they have two family size bags of Lay's salt and vinegar chips, which are probably my favorite type of chips, <coughs> on their shoulders, and they're just dying to get on their that field, get those bags of chips off their shoulders, and start consuming them like no other. Oh yeah. <laughs> Which of course my other my other favorite kind of chip is um, better made barbecue chips here in uh, Michigan. It's not quite a, a company you'll see down in Georgia, but better made's got some good stuff. If ever you come up to Michigan, I'll have to introduce you to that. But point point being, they got two family sized bags of chips on their shoulder, and they can't wait to get them off their shoulders and eat the hell out of them. That's what Clemson I think might might do this Saturday night in Phoenix. With that being said, how does how does Clemson beat Ohio State? 
big thing is utilize the weapons you have at wide receiver. You have so many weapons that Trevor Lawrence can choose from. Let your playmakers go make plays. So you got to unleash them on that Ohio State secondary, which is good but not great, okay? Mm-hmm. So get, get the ball, get it out quick because what is great is Ohio State's defensive line led by Chase Young. So you got to get the ball out quick. Let your, let your playmakers go make plays. And a second thing is, it's going to be hard, but see what you can get going with Travis Etienne in the backfield, where if he, you know, keep that man away from Chase Young at all costs, okay? But if he can get, if they can get that run game going and allow this, um, and spread out Ohio State's defense a little bit, that'll be big for Clemson's chances to win. And then the last thing is, and it's a it's an underrated Clemson defense. I yes. don't think they get the credit that they should. So I'm interested to see what Clemson's defense can do to contain Justin Fields. Because that's my third key, contain Justin Fields. Mm-hmm. You know, because Ohio State's offense goes as he goes. If you can contain them and potentially make them one-dimensional with having to focus on J.K. Dobbins in the backfield, then you – really have a good chance of slowing down that Ohio State offense. Gotcha. So, my keys to a Clemson victory are, um, of course, you have those bags of chips on on, on your shoulders. You, you got you to gotta block out the noise and just play football, which I feel that Dabo's team will do. Um, so, I guess that's one, just play football. Um, don't block out, block out the noise. And two, you're right by saying that Clemson is a very underrated defense because if they had the defense that people thought, I honestly think they would have lost to Virginia. And they blew the heck out of Virginia. So they, <laughs> they've they got a defense. They can contain fields, defense contain fields, and hold them to under, under 28, you'll be fine, honestly. Uh, and three... Double team Chase Young, because that's what Michigan did. And yes, Michigan still got whooped. I saw it too, because I was there. Um, you really didn't hear anything from Chase Young in that game. And Shea Patterson, who hopefully is related to you, is probably not. Um, Shea Patterson had time, and then the first half. Now the second half, the, the the left side of the defensive line finally figured it out and thought, "Oh, wait, he's being double teamed. We can tackle him." And unfortunately, that's how the end of that game went. But double team Chase Young, Trevor Lawrence will have time. And of course, utilize ETN. Um, I I could see a lot of screen passes to ETN if they decide not to double team Chase Young. So, yeah. (laughs) Well, that being said, how would who wins this game? Oh man, I think it's close. Um, I'm gonna go with Ohio State here. And I'm going to go 37-34. I think this game becomes an instant classic. Uh, it's going to be hard to control Justin Fields. Uh, coming out of the backfield, you know, we still wish we had him down in Georgia, trust me. Um, the way what he's been able to do in Ohio State has been flat-out phenomenal. I do think there will be some defensive stops by both sides, but I think this game comes down to the fourth quarter. It will be 
fun to watch. It will not be like what it was a couple of years ago, that's for sure. Of course, my hope is that it ends like it did a couple years ago with Ohio State not scoring a point, but I know that's not realistic. <laughs> uh, with that being said, I also think it's going to be close. Um, here's where I will go contrarian because I feel on every show I have to go contrarian on at least one thing to at least have difference of opinion somewhere. I think Clemson is going to win this on a last-second field goal from about 50 yards out and break the hearts of Columbus, Ohio. Um, 20, or no, 31-28, last-second field goal, Clemson. So either way, it sounds like we're going to have an amazing game going down in the Fiesta Bowl. Yes, it, it will be a Fiesta at the Fiesta Bowl. Of course, one team will want to Siesta after their Fiesta didn't go well. That's true. <laughs> That's another thing I'm known for is puns like that. So hopefully that was good. Listen, I love puns, but you're good. Oh, right. awesome. So I got 31-28, you got 37-34 differing teams. Now, of course, the preview that the preview that I've been looking forward to, uh, not that I haven't been looking forward to playoffs, of course, Michigan and Alabama. This one, at least I feel, and I could be very wrong by this, I feel that Harbaugh could lose this game by double digits and still have a job at the end of it because people at least up here realize that, okay, Alabama is Alabama. And, and what I at least think is that people don't realize up here that Ohio State is basically Alabama disguised. Yes, Michigan has improvements to make. I see that. But if you got a team in, in your conference that's, head and toe above everybody else, and you're wanting your coach fired for not beating that team, but beating almost everybody else? I, I, I find that a bit nonsensical. But Jack has covered Alabama, so maybe I could be wrong on my assumption. Tell, tell us a little bit about the, uh, the Crimson Tide. I actually agree with you, and I feel like that Michigan kind of plays the role of, uh, of uh, Auburn or Georgia down here. You know, and until this year, LSU, where you have those three teams who are constantly, one of those three teams were usually the number two team in the SEC behind Alabama. And usually it was Alabama who was bashing their hopes at a national championship. Um, mm -hmm. So I can I can agree with that, that Ohio State kind of is the Alabama for, you know, in the Big Ten, where, you know, you have a team like Michigan or maybe a Penn State or Wisconsin or something like that who – you know, might have aspirations at a national championship or playing for a national championship in the playoffs, but you have this juggernaut that you have to go through. So I, I agree with that. Um, it, and it's tough. I, and I think Michigan's kind of the same boat as Auburn right now, where everybody wants Gus Malzahn fired, but I'm like, guys, Malzahn had a fantastic year this year. Like, his, his only losses were to LSU, which held him held him in that that was the closest game LSU's played all year. It was a twenty three twenty game on the road in Death Valley with a freshman quarterback. So, you know, to be playing that close and then you lost to Georgia, which you almost came back and won that game. So, you know, but yet people down here want Mal have been wanting Malzon's head down here. But you know, like I said, 
you know, and I'll say the same thing about Michigan. Is the grass greener, you know, if you fire Harbaugh? I don't think the grass is greener. You know, it takes time. It takes recruiting classes to be able to knock down these kind of people. And, you know, it's not it's not the easiest thing to do. So I, I would say, especially for this year, you only lost two games. One was to Ohio State. You know, hang in there. You know, it's... You know, it takes time to be able to knock down. It took time for these schools to get to where they are. So it's going to take time to knock them off that perch. And the thing is, with when Polk was still at Michigan, we were having a lot of problems with Michigan State. And yes, State was on their upswing at that time. But look at this year. We beat State 44-10. to 10. In fact, I tell people that 9-16 is the greatest time to be a Michigan fan because it's 44 yeah. minutes to 10. There you go. <laughs> so just remember where you came from, and that's what I've been saying basically the entire season on this show is remember where you started from because if you get rid of Harbaugh and we get worse, Harbaugh ain't that bad. You're going to be wishing that you were back in this position. Exactly. So with that being said, is this a season-defining game for both teams? For Michigan, I would say yes, and for Alabama, I would say no. And here's why. For Michigan, to be able to go down and play a blue blood, you know, and, you know, I mean, Michigan's a blue blood themselves, but be able to go down and play an SEC team, and if you could get a win out, if you could get a win, like, that's huge going into next season. Ride that momentum, you know, create some goodwill within the fan base. You know, to go down to Orlando and get the win. So that would be huge for Michigan. Now, I say no for Alabama because I think their season-defining game was against Mississippi State when Tua went down and got injured. Oh, because yes. their season changed once that happened. Because before that game, we're talking Alabama's going to the college football playoff. You know, or mm-hmm. at least has a chance to go to the college football playoff. You know, hindsight being twenty twenty, knowing what we know now. They're probably in the college football playoff if they beat Auburn. You know, and granted, they almost did it with Mac Jones. But, you know, I feel like if they had if they had Tua, they would have beat Auburn and would probably be in the college football playoff, at least definitely in the New Year's Six. Right. So, uh, so and I, I'll be honest with you, there's, sure. you know, there's a lot of Alabama fans who – are, you know, granted, they're happy they're going to Orlando because it, the weather's been absolutely miserable around these parts. Mm-hmm. But, um, so they're happy they're going to Orlando for New Year's, for New Year's. But at the same time, like, you know, this is the first time they have, they're not playing in a New Year's Six Bowl basically since, you know, we were in high school. Yeah. So, <laughs> like, you know, they're not, they're not used to this. And, Truthfully, they're catching the tenth degree from everybody or from all the other schools around here because, you know, after years and years of beating up on everybody, everybody is sick of Alabama outside of the people from that are cheer for Alabama. So, mm-hmm. uh, so yeah, so I I can't say this is a season defining game for them because their season defining games went to and went down, and you know gotcha. there there were. It was a rough time for a lot of people down here when that happened. Mm-hmm. So, because they knew that 
you know, Matt Jones is okay, and he's, you know, he's got a potential to be good, but he's not too. That's true. And and they kind of knew what the potential was going to be when that happened. Right. Uh, so with that being said, um, this in a way you're in a way you're basically saying that uh, last year's Michigan situation is this year's Alabama's, where it's it's kind of. <clears throat> It's kind of a catch-22. You win the game, it doesn't erase the fact that you missed the college football playoff. You lose the game, it kind of just adds on to what the disappointment has been at the end of the year. Yeah, I mean, you're right. Cause, I mean, at this rate, at this point, um, most of the Alabama fans are just looking at this as a vacation. You know, yeah. regardless, of the outcome, regardless of the outcome of the game. Where I know Michigan is looking to, you know, put that feather in the cap of knocking off a, a top tier SEC opponent. Mm-hmm. Uh, so with that being said, Alabama has a couple of players on defense sitting out. Is that going to be a factor in this in this game? Uh, in most years, I would say no. This year, I would say potentially, and that's just because Alabama has been so banged up on defense this year. Mm-hmm. Um, now, granted, Alabama has all of the talent in the world. Nick Saban recruits uh, the Southeast like nobody we've ever seen. And yet so, people want Alabama, him fired from Alabama because just because he lost two games in one year, according to some people on okay. Twitter. First <laughs> off, those people are out of their minds. <laughs> that you want Nick Saban fired because he lost two games. He's won five national titles in the last ten years. Please, don't, don't don't. And this is coming from a Georgia fan, okay? Like, please. And one of those national titles he beat us on. Always remember second and twenty six. Uh, it had it had it had to take a perfect pass. I felt to do it, and by God, he did it. <laughs> exactly. Like you, you're, come on, man. But back back to what I was saying, though. Yeah. They have. There's literally, they have an embarrassment of riches when it comes to talent in, in the Alabama program. So, in in the grand scheme of things, I think experience-wise, it hurts a little bit. But they have so much talent there that it's literally just plug and play. Mm-hmm. So, I don't think it's going to play a massive issue. I like, it might be, you know, maybe first quarter... You know, you might have a couple freshmen out there, you know, shaking off the nerves and everything like that. But I think once they get into the game, I think it'll be just fine and they'll be ready to go. Like, like you hear so much about the process, like, that is a legitimate thing. They are so by the book over Alabama. So, I think they'll be fine once they get going. Mm -hmm. And and I'll say, um, I remember that I I discreetly remember the process quote because (laughs) – and this could be a reason why that I've uh, that I'm still 24 single and never had a girlfriend. But I actually equate that quote to relationships, love and relationships. I say to myself, "Be your." Uh, he says, uh, "Execute the right plays at the right time, and the wins will come." That's why AJ McCarron and his center got were so po'd at each other when when it was like 45 to seven in the in the 2012 championship. It's like, what? <laughs> but that's what he said. Um, 
execute the right plays and the wins will come. And I say to myself in relationships, and this is to all those, all the people out there that are like me, um, be yourself and the right person will come to you. If you have to change the way that you are in a negative way just to make somebody else happy, it's not going to work. And that could be a reason why I remain 24 and single and never having have, having dated, but that's how I am. It's like, this is me. I can change like one or two things, but if it's got to be a whole different process, then the hell with it. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so some good advice from yours truly on that, on that side of the coin. But uh, players sitting out of factor, I think it will. On either side, I'm not sure if Michigan's going to sit anybody at this point. We will find out in the nine days that we have before this bowl. So I will say as an I will say yes to that. So how does Alabama defeat Michigan? Uh, they're going to need a big game from Najee Harris in the backfield. Um, Matt Jones has a pretty good arm, but in order to really get the full effect of it, like they did against. I mean, against Auburn and Iron Bowl, you're going to need Najee Harris to have a big game. You know, get that ground game going. Brian Robinson's going to have to help in that as well. Get, if Alabama gets their ground game going, that's going to lead to big things for them. The second thing, we talked about it already, is the defense. He, you know, with you having some players out for sitting out for defense, you know, how do the fill-ins, you know, fit in with the defense and how do they play against Michigan? You know, do they get stops or do they get, you know, do they get tar- Michigan will probably target them early. So, you know, how do they, you know, play against that? That's going to be a big key. And the third thing mm-hmm. is, and it's not going to sound like much, but if you ask any Alabama fan, they know exactly what I'm talking about. Sure. They've got to get the kicking game right. They've got to get the kicking game right. <laughs> you know, they've had so much, so many problems with the kicking game this year. And one of my favorite sayings is, sayings are, is kickers are people too. Yes. And Alabama has had a nightmare of horrors when it comes to, you know, their kicking game in the last few years. I mean, you go back and look, you know, Andy Papanastas hit the upright in the national championship game against Georgia. You know, we go back to the Iron Bowl. Let's say just ask Chris upright. Davis. <laughs> so, so I, it doesn't seem like much, but... That's what if Alabama does have a weakness of special teams. So, well, I almost say it's the special teams, but it's their kicking game. So, if this game gets close, you know, there's a reasonable thought, like, you know, is this kick going to go in? So, I would say those are the three important things for Alabama. Gotcha. Mikey, Alabama beating Michigan. Uh, you have defensive starters sitting. <clears throat> But if you can find a way to get to have Shea turn the ball over like he did early in the season, if you can if you can somehow catch early season Shea Patterson, then you have a solid chance at winning this game. <clears throat> Michigan's defense was kind of porous in the second half, especially <clears throat> against Ohio State. If if Alabama's offense can find a way to find that type of defense for Michigan, they can win this game. <clears throat> and um any quarterback that's played under Nick Saban has had great success. Maybe not in the NFL, but at least on his team. Mac Jones can just play his game, find a way to torch the defense. They can do it. Um, 
it seems kind of easy. And of course, like you'd said, the kicking game. Um, even as me, a Michigan fan, I'm more. I, I of course watch almost every team I, that I can. Um, I've noticed the kicking problems that Alabama's had. <laughs> Hashtag college kickers. <laughs> but they are people too. <laughs> but they are people too. Now, how does Michigan beat Alabama? Uh, the first thing, pressure Mac Jones. Don't let him get comfortable. That was one thing. One of the things that Auburn did, and when they got to him, they had Auburn's defense had great success in slowing down Alabama's offense enough to where they can. They've been able. They were able to stop him and then go down and get some points. I honestly think that was one of the determining factors in Auburn winning that game. Uh, secondly, you've got to slow down those wideouts. They, Alabama has an, just a ridiculous wide receiver core. Their top four wide receivers will be a number one wide receiver at most schools. So you got to slow down Judy. you got to slow down Devontae Smith, Henry Ruggs. you got to slow all of those guys down. Jalen Waddle, you got to slow all those guys down. You know, and mm-hmm. I, it seems impossible, okay? It legitimately does seem impossible. But if you can contain those guys, don't let them break out the big play, then you got a chance. You know, but if you start letting, you know, those boys turn five-yard screen passes into a 75-yard touchdown, it's going to be a long day in Orlando. Right. And third, got to put points on the board. Yes. This Alabama offense, when it's clicking, can score almost at will. Shea Patterson has got to be able to lead that team down the field and put points on the board. And honestly, more times than not, it's got to be seven over three. If they right. can, if they can put points on the board and then slow down offenses, uh, Alabama's offensive explosive weapons, they'll have a chance to pull off the upset. But I do think it's they've, those last two things, especially control those wide receivers, and then Shea Patterson's got to put points on the board for the Wolverines. <laughs> So here's my keys. Um, Michigan has played 10 solid defensive games, and I'm considering Penn State as one of the losses to be one of those solid games, and it's because they had Ronnie Bell completed that, had Ronnie Bell not dropped that pass, who knows where we where we would be right now. Who knows? Uh, if they can just find that defense that John Brown has had them play in those solid games, Look at the Notre Dame game, for example, how they destroyed them. Granted, it's not going to rain in Orlando, but that's the game I'd be looking. I'd be looking at if I were Michigan to see how they could beat this Alabama team. Granted, granted, the last time that Alabama and Notre Dame played, Alabama beat Notre Dame like forty-seven to seven or something or something along those lines. But you have those name programs, and you see what you see what they do. Michigan can just play a game like that, and of course, like you said, stop. Judy in the wide receiving core. In fact, a joke I had made to Laura Rutledge, uh, similar to how Ryan McGee makes his jokes, Jerry Judge Judy. Perfect. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can, if you can outrule Jerry Judge Judy, then you'd be perfect. <laughs> yeah. And and of course, um, if 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 this game is how you are saying, is that it seems and. I'm not saying you said this, but it seems as if Michigan has more to gain from this. Then this could this could very well be a Michigan win just for that reason. Um, last year we saw that Florida had a lot more to gain from the Chick Fil A Bowl. 
than Michigan did. So it could be a game like that. That's a lot. That's a lot of to do with bowl games is who wants it more. And now we we're pretty much cycling into that question: who wins this game? Who wants it more? Here's the thing: as much as I say is a more important game for Michigan than it is for Alabama, mm-hmm. Nick Saban will have those boys ready to play. Uh, I pose this question to you. When's the last time you've seen an Alabama team come out flat outside the LSU game? Maybe Texas A and M twenty thirteen, but but your but your point is it's been so long that people don't remember a, a time that Alabama has gone flat when Saban's been there. Yeah, I mean it, it doesn't it doesn't happen often. So I do believe that Alabama will come to play. I do think this game will be close. Uh, I'm going to go 35-31 Alabama. 35-31 Alabama. Um, the Let's see. The fan in me wants to say Michigan wins big because of the motivation factor, but the realist in me knows that what you said is entirely correct, that Nick Saban's team will come out to play despite it not being a New Year's Six Bowl. Uh, the last time, the last time they did not make the SEC championship game, they played in the playoff. They they showed up to play, so it's <laughs> you know, uh, Saban Saban will have this team ready to go. Um, I think if one team is going to blow the other team out, I think it's going to be Alabama. But I will, um, I will make a a bold prediction and say that Michigan wins twenty eight twenty seven, last second touchdown to Ronnie Bell. And he redeems himself. Listen, I do think this game is going to be one of the most watched games of bowl season. Mm-hmm. Uh, and don't be—I wouldn't be surprised at all if it came down to a game like that. Yeah, I'm, and and like I had said, at least I think, and I and hopefully my opinion is more is more rounded, like the administration wants, but. I truly think that Michigan can lose this game by double digits and Harbaugh will be fine because it's Alabama and fans realize, oh, yeah, Alabama is Alabama. <laughs> I mean, yeah, and, it, and I'll, I'll just be honest. Like, if I'm Michigan, I'm not firing Harbaugh after the season he's had. Like, he's had a really good season. They've been in the top 15, what, all year? Pretty much. Like, I, w- I would not be firing him. Like, I understand he's not beating Ohio State. And I understand, you know, the, you know, the tradition and the history of the program. And they, they want to go back to competing for national championships. Like, mm-hmm. to build that program, it takes time. Okay? Right. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't happen overnight unless you're, I mean, even with Orgeron and LSU, like, it took them years of being on the cusp before they finally got to it this year. So right. it does take time. Mm-hmm. And when you're competing with teams like Ohio State and Penn State and Wisconsin, when you're competing with teams like that, the Big Ten, you know, even if you, you know, you have to be perfect. And it's, a, it's asking a lot of asking all these guys to be perfect when one fault, when one thing goes wrong and it can change the course of your season. Just so, like when Tua went down. Exactly. For Alabama. Mm-hmm. Like, 
Alabama was full speed. Even after the LSU loss, they were full speed ahead to the playoff. And then when Tua goes down, their entire season changed. Right. So. And so with that being said, um, this has been quite a conversation, a conversation that I didn't think would last this long, but it's been it's it's been great to talk some football, talk some networking, and of course the famed final question I have to ask is, is there anything else you have to add to this wonderful Tom Green podcast? Absolutely. You know, my biggest thing and you know, just the thing I've been going through the last couple of months is you know, it doesn't hurt to be kind to others. And, you know, just be yourself and, you know, you know, live life to its fullest, you know. You know, tomorrow's not promised. So, you know, go out and enjoy life and, you know, enjoy the things you love to do the most. Like, for, fortunately for me, I I am 100% blessed to get to be paid to cover sports for a living. Trust me, I'm going to Tampa for New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. Like, I, I'm not complaining by any stretch of the imagination, so. You know, just be yourself, have fun, and chase your dream. Exactly, and that's what I've been doing for many years, and hopefully hopefully this show will vault us both to 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 bigger things. And you and you've and you have big things going on right now. I'm not saying you don't. Is it's <laughs> I mean, that's <clears throat> what you're doing is something I would love to do. Is <clears throat> go to a major game, report on it, do some camera work, get it back in time for eleven o'clock news. That's something that I would love to do. And and I'll also say that the folks that I'm working with at WLEW are very ex- we're very excited for this show. In fact, um, one of the programs we have is Max in the Morning. I talked to him before that you were going to be on this show, and he said, great networking, Tom. That's, that's going to be a great show. So hopefully you guys have enjoyed it, and I've definitely enjoyed this conversation. And hopefully, um, like I said, hopefully Marty and Marty McGee and uh, – Laura will hook us up with some tickets because that would be something else to do a <laughs> to do a show with some vignettes in uh, New Orleans. But of course, we're, we won't be holding our breath on that. <laughs> yeah, Laura willing, I'll see you at Cafe Dumont. All right. Oh, we'll see what happens. But nonetheless, he is Jack Patterson from WRBL, and this has been the Tom Green Podcast. <laughs>